My mom and dad met at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. And last Tuesday, after my Aunt Juanita's funeral service in Wilmore, um, we were walking um, through this small top college town and we were approaching the, the campus of what is now Asbury University. And my dad took a little trip down memory lane um, and he told us that 63 years ago, uh, he was walking the ex exact steps that we were walking last Tuesday, and he was determined uh, to uh, ask Ramona Cochran out for a date. And so as he approached the front lawn of uh, the college, there she was under a big oak tree. And she said yes to the date and sometime later uh, she said yes to dad's proposal for marriage the only problem with the marriage proposal was dad is two years older he was graduating uh, and uh, he was leaving for malaysia uh, to serve as a missionary with the the general board of global ministries with the united methodist church and the problem with that was he was going to be gone uh, for for three years, and the, and the wedding, the wedding was planned for just a few weeks after his return to the United States, after he was to come home, and so when he did, when my mom saw him for the first time in three years, um, she was heartbroken, like Dad was much thinner, and he was a skinny dude when he got on the boat three years before, um, he was going bald and uh, he could barely speak English. I mean, she had to do a, a, a double take to, to make sure that she had the right guy. And they were getting married in a matter of days and she's like, what have I done? But this is the thing. None of that external stuff really mattered because she knew him. She knew his heart. She had all the letters for three whole years they wrote letters to each other almost every single day. Well, four or five years ago, um, before my mama died, uh, mom and dad uh, got out this this box of old letters. They had they had saved all of them. You know, uh, you you save things that are sacred, and they started reading their old letters together from that time period, and it became kind of a a, a, dis a discipline for them, and they decided to share this discipline uh, with us, with their, with their kids and their grandkids. And so once a week, we would get a, a letter from mom and dad kind of updating the week um, and, and all that had gone on. And attached to this email letter um, would be copies of uh, these letters from a long time ago. The letters revealed their love they revealed their commitment. The letters revealed their, their faithfulness. I, I'm sure for mom and dad, it was a, uh, a reminder of um, the, the sweetness and the, and the bitterness, like all of the emotions that uh, are in play uh, with, a, with a separation like that. But, but for us, reading these letters um, kind of opens a window into the history of our, 
family, our, our extended family uh, in the 1960s. And so it's really cool. But it also gives us an example of what true love looks like. Um, my mom died almost three years ago and dad continues to to read the letters. Uh, he uh, continues to, to send copies to us. Um, I, I know that it has brought him comfort um, and, and the discipline um, I think has helped him grieve well. It, it has helped him to continue living good days in her absence. It, it makes me think about the impact that the Bible has on my life, on our lives. You know, from the very beginning, uh, the Methodist movement was marked by this deep desire uh, to grow deeper in faith and to grow uh, closer to God. Uh, John Wesley and the, the people that he ran with, there was this intensity uh, with them. Uh, when, when they talked about uh, attending to the ordinance of God and, and living faithfully, as followers of Jesus. In fact, they were, they were so intense um, that, that their colleagues and, and their students, uh, they, they were actually mocked for it. Uh, you probably know this, but the, the name Methodist, like that was a derogatory term because they were so methodical with their conviction to the spiritual disciplines, with their intensity about uh, living faithfully for Christ. Uh, I actually think it's kind of cool um, that our the name of our denomination, um, uh, was because we were being mocked. Uh, but, but Wesley was convinced uh, that, that holiness is discovered uh, not in the creed that we proclaim, but in the creed that we practice. And so the everyday routine uh, w was critical. Uh, he carved out for himself this, this way of, of living uh, that included um, the reading and, uh, among other things, included the reading and the reflection uh, on, on Scripture. Now, it was so important to him that he called the kind of Christianity that we're supposed to live, he called it scriptural Christianity. So, um, there's not a, a statement in the Apostles' Creed uh, about our belief in the Bible as a, a guiding principle. Uh, but without question, uh, the, the, script, the scriptures have shaped uh, not only the church's creeds, but the church's prayers and, and the church's liturgies and the church's sacraments. And they all kind of work together uh, and, and serve as this, this invitation to anyone who will come uh, to uh, encounter the living word, capital W, uh, who, of course, is, is Jesus. John Wesley put a lot of emphasis on what he called uh, searching the scriptures. And he even said that it was a means of grace right up there with Holy Communion uh, and, and with baptism. So um, I, I suppose to answer the question, what we believe about the Bible, um, I just thought I would read what's actually in our United Methodist Book of Discipline um, in, in um, our section on our doctrinal standards and our theological task. United Methodists share with other Christians the conviction that Scripture is the primary source and criterion for Christian doctrine. Through Scripture, listen to this, through Scripture, the living Christ meets us in the experience of redeeming grace. 
We are convinced that Jesus Christ is the living word of God in our midst, whom we trust in life and death. The biblical authors, illumined by the Holy Spirit, bear witness that in Christ, the world is reconciled to God. The Bible bears authentic testimony to God's self-disclosure in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As As we open our minds and hearts to the Word of God through the words of human beings inspired by the Holy Spirit, faith is born and nourished, our understanding is deepened, and the possibilities for transforming the world become apparent to us. Uh, Will Willimon, in in, uh, his book, This We Believe, about Wesleyan faith and practice, He says that that was one of Wesley's distinctive contributions uh, to the church's use of Scripture and and uh, using Scripture in his teaching is that people should expect that that reading the Bible is a a primary opportunity to experience the transforming presence and power of God. So... A little over 30 years ago, when I started in ministry, my, my mom and dad gave me this book. Um, it, it's called um, a, a Guide to Prayer. I, I found this one in our church library. My book, which is exactly like this, except it's all tattered, um, is, is in a box up in my attic. A Bishop Reuben Job wrote this um, with some other guy. I give him credit to Norman Shawchuck. Um, and I used this book for a few years um, kind of wore it out and, and threw it in the attic when they came out with another one, a guide to prayer for God's ministers and servants and kind of the same pattern. I used it for a few years and then tossed it in the attic when another one came out, a guide to prayer for all God's people. And then there was another one that came out with a, another little catchy name. Um, it transformed my life. My mom and dad, um, you know, share with me this sense that um, it takes time to nurture a relationship with God and that I needed to to, to give um, that time. That time needed to be an important part of my life, an important part of my day. You know, just like John Wesley believed that that daily routine was critical to our ability to live faithfully and reading the scriptures is an important part of that. I wanted to read um, what Reuben Job and Norman Shawchuck uh, right in, in their, their preface. This book was, rep- was prepared out of our own desperation and search. Desperation to find forgiveness for sin, release from guilt, desperation to find the living God as a companion in our lives and ministries, and a search for resources and disciplines to help keep our relationship with God alive and vital every day. This book, therefore, is not a treatise written by experts. Rather, it is a collection of resources by two pilgrims. And, and they, they dedicate it to um, every pilgrim who yearns for God. And that's us, right? Uh, the, the structure of this book is that there's a, a page for every week. And you, you set aside time. You know, a lot of times you'll, you'll read um, 
someone who's, who's giving you guidance on your discipline life, well, you know, I'll just start with five or 10 minutes. And, and someone pointed out that when, you know, Jesus was with the disciples on the night that he was betrayed and arrested, um, that they went off to the garden to pray. And the, 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 the three disciples that with him, Peter, James, and John, they kept falling asleep. And, and Jesus was just like, couldn't you just stay one hour? Um, so um, I, think an, I think an hour is a good amount of time. Um, and if you've got a nice chunk of time in your day um, and you walk through something like this, it starts with a prayer, an invocation. And then the second thing that you do is um, you read a psalm. Every, every single day for a week, you read the same psalm. And then the next part of, of the time is a daily scripture reading. And there's a daily scripture reading that, that's offered. Um, and then uh, some, some extra readings, readings for reflection. Um, John Wesley was big on, on not only reading the Bible, but, but, but reading um, what scholars and, and other others, uh, spiritually inclined writers have to say about our faith and this discipline of study, um, but especially the study of Scripture. And then, and then prayers, uh, to pray for the church, to, to pray for other people, to pray for myself. Uh, the little book offers um, prayers from, from other people, from saints who have gone before, um, but but it allows space for my own prayers. And then another important part of prayer, the next section, is is reflection, and, and in particular, particularly silent reflection. Like how often in our time with God do, do we just sit quietly? Quietly meditating on the Word, but also uh, quietly listening. Listening for the voice of God. And then an encouragement to to write down the insights that, that, that we've experienced, um, you know, to, uh, to journal them, to, to make notes in a notebook. Uh, someone once said that the, the, the faintest ink is stronger than the, 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 the strongest or most powerful memory. And then there's a hymn. Um, every day you read a hymn. Uh, Reuben Job says in, in another book about the hymns, you know, that, that, uh, Charles Wesley just seemed to write a bunch of hymns every single day. Like I don't, I don't know the number. Uh, Don Kirkendall could tell us how many, how many hymns Charles Wesley, John Wesley's brother, wrote. Um, but, but these hymns were the poetry of the church. And what happened with this, and the significance of this was, that uh, the common person was learning um, the theology uh, through these songs and and through these these poems and they, they were accessible to them uh, so you read through a hymn and then there's a, a closing benediction our, our text for today from Hebrews chapter 4 I've, I've heard this my whole life to the point that I could probably quote it from memory but I want to just read it again indeed the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. I mean, just to pause there, there's really... Kind of two main thoughts or themes in, in these few verses that is our text for today. That one um, is, is about the power of God's word. 
And it's written in such a way that makes me uh, feel a little bit anxious about uh, opening the Bible. Because God's Word has, has the power to, uh, you know, to, to divide soul from spirit. It's sharper than in any two-edged sword. And it, you know, lays me open and vulnerable and naked before God. And there's a power in that, as frightening as it may be. But the other part of our text is about our, our boldness, thanks to Jesus, our boldness to approach the throne of God. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace for the time of need. Tony Campolo was, uh, was teaching at the, the University of of Pennsylvania, and he he befriended a young student who uh, had just given his life uh, to Christ, and so uh, Campolo began to mentor him and to to give him direction on on how to live the Christian life, and so he advised this young man to uh, to go to this particular church that was well known for its biblical preaching because he wanted to to help this student get a better handle uh, on on what the Bible is all about, and so this student did. Um, a number of weeks later, um, uh, he met his friend, and, and his friend said to him, You know, uh, if you were to put together a committee and ask them to take the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes are found in Matthew chapter 5. Um, in Matthew chapter 5 is, is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's his famous sermon, um, chapters and chapters. Uh, if you've got a red-letter Bible, it's just it's all red-letter stuff. Um, and so in Jesus' famous sermon where he says some of his most powerful things, it begins with the Beatitudes. Uh, so he says, if you were to, to put together a committee and ask them to take the Beatitudes and create a religion that contradicted every one of them, you would come pretty close to what I'm hearing down there at that church. Whereas Jesus said, blessed are the poor, down there they make it clear that it is the rich who are blessed. Jesus says, blessed are they that mourned, but the people at that church have a religion that promises happiness with no crucifixions. Whereas Jesus talked about the meek being blessed, they talk as if they took assertiveness training courses. Jesus may have talked about the merciful and the peacemakers, but those people are the most enthusiastic supporters of American militarism and capital punishment I have ever met. He said to Campolo, Jesus may have lifted up those who endured persecution because they dared to embrace a radical gospel, but that church declares a gospel that espouses middle-class success and affirms a lifestyle marked by social privilege. Ouch. Campolo said, he felt the sting personally. And it caused him to begin to wonder if the life that he lived was really Christian. 
After he tells that story, he quotes Soren, Kier Soren Kierkegaard, who said, If you mean by Christian what the Sermon on the Mount says about being a Christian, then in any given time in history, there might be four or five such persons who would have the right to call themselves Christian. You know, the Methodist movement that centuries ago gave birth to, to what is now um, the United Methodist Church, this church that, that we are, well, that movement was marked by this deep desire to live good days, to live faithful. And John Wesley believed that, that God would inspire us, that God would provide the direction and the power that we need to live a distinctive life of holiness. He, he wrote a letter to a guy named John uh, Trembeth, and Wesley said this, Oh, begin, fix some part of every day for private exercises. You may acquire the taste for which you have not. What is tedious at first will afterwards be pleasant. Whether you like it or no, read, read and pray daily. It is for your life. There is no other way. Do justice to your own soul. Give it time and means to grow. Do not starve yourself any longer. Take up your cross and be Christian altogether. Then will the children of God rejoice. Amen.